welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the School of Laughs. Rick Roberts here. Hope you're having a good day. Cold day probably for most of you if you're listening to this when it's released. It's a little chilly here in Nashville. Hey, got a quick episode today for you. It's just a listener email edition. I've got several questions in the inbox that I need to get to, and I thought, why not just answer the questions right now? So no big long intro other than thanks to Bill Conger for being our Patreon supporter for this episode. You can find out more about how you can support the podcast through Patreon. Go to schooloflaughs.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. All right, so let's get right to the questions. Like I said, this will be kind of quick today. And uh, my guess is if you're walking the dog listening to this, it's going to be a pretty quick walk anyway. So let's jump in there. Our first question comes from Brian Bates. Brian wants to know, once the pandemic is over, do you expect stand-up comedy to go back to the way it was, or will some elements of stand-up comedy be changed for good? I think some will be changed. I'm not sure if it's for good. I mean, I think they'll be changed for a while. Here's the scoop from what I'm thinking is, uh, I guess I have to break this into categories of performing. So stand-up and comedy clubs, I think that'll return somewhat to normal, although you may see people still wearing the mask here and there as uh, it takes several years for this thing to work itself out long-term. We're talking all the anti-vaxxers and even those vaccinated who will still be able to carry and transmit the virus, I think you'll see people still wearing the mask in close uh, close contact with other folks. So I do think the comedy clubs will get back to a bigger percentage. I know that it's just they're struggling big time right now to to you know generate the income that they need to make their money plus pay the artist. So I think short term you'll see more of the local bookings, and then long term things should get back pretty much to normal. But I do think there's going to be some people who always kind of want to wear that mask. And, uh, hey, it's okay. We'll see. Curious to what you guys think out there. And uh, not sure still how fast this will return to whatever the new normal is. Next question comes in from Sean Hughes. What's up, Sean? Sean wants to know if there's any books I would recommend that have helped me in my comedy career. It doesn't have to be stand-up specific, but just books that have helped you with the career of comedy. Yes, sir. Big fan of books. Uh, they're not just for holding doors open and lifting up card tables, but you crack open a book once in a while, you might learn something. So here's my top recommendations, and I'm I'm looking right across my desk at my bookshelf and may even pull a book or two off of it as I recommend it. But first one that I would recommend is The Artist Way. The Artist Way, and I'm looking at it right now. Mine is pretty um pretty worn out. This book is with Julia Cameron. Catherine Allen and Mark Bryan as the authors. And there's the artist way at work, riding the dragon. How about that? So what I like about the artist way, for those of you that aren't familiar, is they base the books kind of address every single thing that holds you back from being creative or being fully functional and, and gets you kind of rolling. You know, it's interesting. And in the back of most of our heads, there's what the book calls the critic. That voice that pops up once in a while says, ah, you shouldn't do this, or ah, you're probably not good at that. 
And it just teaches you to recognize that voice, give it a name if you want besides the critic, and just tell the critic to shut up and move move out of the way. I got things to do. And it's funny, when I first started reading this book, I'm like, ah, this is kind of one of those weirdo books. I don't know if I'm going to get into it or not, but it definitely helped me do that. And the other big part of the artist's way are what she calls morning pages. And this is a commitment to yourself to produce three pages every day before you start any other thing, any other task. You get out of bed, you roll over, maybe you do this in bed, you break out your pen and your pad, and you simply write down three pages. And it's not that you have to be super creative right out of the gate, but the book kind of taught me, and it even outlined it in one of the chapters, is you know when we start our day, we basically have this to-do list in the back of our mind of stuff we have to do today, and we just kind of jump right on that list. Well, when you do the morning pages, you can take half of that first page and just write out your to-do list so that you can stop thinking about it and then go on to your first thing to do that day, which is writing. And again, it doesn't have to be jokes right out of the gate. It could just be uh, – sometimes I would write down what I dreamt about, how I felt, uh, last thing that happened to me the day before that I thought was interesting, any of those things to get it down on paper. And that usually leads to something that you weren't even thinking about when you started writing and that's what I like about the method the most is the third page you cannot even predict because the first page gets stuff off your brain and out of the way. The second page sometimes kind of is what you're thinking about is might be funny and you start working it out. And then that thought or those thoughts will lead you to something on the third page uh, where you never could have started there. So the artist way, I got the artist way at work and there's the uh, vein of gold, a journey to your creative heart by Julie Cameron, too. I've got both of those books sitting in front of me, read them both, use them both. Do the morning pages fairly consistently, not every single day, but uh, multiple days throughout the week. Got a little thing that I do in the morning where I grab a cup of coffee. After I've had my breakfast, I got to get my breakfast in early. And then I just kind of sit there until my coffee's done a little bit later and, and work out three or more pages in the notebook, which is always good. All right, the next book I'm going to recommend, Sean, is called Story Worthy, and this is a great book by Matthew Dix. If you don't know who Matthew is, he's a 36-time Moth Story Slam champion and five-time Grand Slam champion. And if you don't know what the Moth is, the Moth is a, a storytelling podcast. This Matthew Dix guy is just a killer at it, and so much so that he teaches these story writing workshops and put together this book, which is just a... Uh, Another great way to, to kind of get the pen and paper going. He gives you different assignments early on in the book to kind of mine for gold stories that you maybe forgot, didn't know you had. Uh, he can take you out of the process and do some things so your brain can function in that way. And then that leads you into uh, discovering different topics you can get into when you have time to write the full story. Uh, but the first part is a great thing for all comics because it, it kind of challenges you to go back and think about why you think about things a certain way and to drag up some memories. And hey, as a comic, good or bad, we can make it funny. So I recommend this book, Matthew Dick, Storyworthy, Engage, Teach, Persuade, and Change Your Life Through the Power of Storytelling. Again, it's not a stand-up comedy writing book, but it's a book about writing, and that's the key. Once you get the pen moving, uh, we've got other things we can do to learn how to write jokes. But uh, those two books right there get you out of your head and get things down on the paper. All right, this next one is going to seem a little out of left field, um, but I like it and it does help. So there's a book called Made to Stick. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's got an orange cover. It's got a little piece of duct tape across the front. And it's a New York Times bestseller that I heard about a while back by these two brothers. It's Chip and Dan Heath. 
And basically what they did was teach you through this book how to make a message that resonates and sticks with people. Now, obviously, for stand-ups, the takeaway from this is you can make your jokes and your message on stage and your bits and routines a little more sticky by using some of the techniques they talk about in this book. Also, your marketing, your contacts with your network, all these things can be more sticky, which basically is a way of saying more memorable, which helps you be more front of center of mind for when they want to hire somebody. So Made to Stick by Chip Heath and Dan Heath, these two brothers put this thing together, and uh, it's a great book. All these books I got, by the way, off of uh, eBay or Amazon, used, something like that. I haven't paid more than three bucks for any of these books, except for The Artist's Way. I bought that way back in the day when I still went inside bookstores. And, and if you go in the bookstore, it's in the uh, pss, pss, it's in the self-help section. Get in and get out before people see you. They might think you're crazy. <laughs> it was a little weird going in there, though. All right, so those are a handful of books. Now, Born Standing Up by Steve Martin, a great book about his journey through stand-up, which I think a lot of comics can relate to. I also like, so I'm reading this, uh, Is This Anything by Jerry Seinfeld. And I don't recommend the book, really. Uh, but I recommend you just pick it up next time you're at the bookstore and read the opening, the introduction that he writes. That's a nice little part of the book that I think every comic can relate to. And then the rest of the book is pretty much just his bits. So if you're a Seinfeld fan, it's kind of cool to see how he writes. Uh, it's it's worth perusing through. I don't know if it's worth buying, but uh, I got it as a gift and I'm enjoying it. But that's another book that's recent um, that you can take a look at. Just see how he structures his jokes. Again, you probably don't tell jokes the same way that Jerry Seinfeld does. I've heard a few comics who are very similar. Uh, Tom Papa, of course, who opens for him all the time, sounds quite a bit in the same style of him. And there's a couple others. But most of us have our own way of saying things. Check it out. See if you like it. If you don't, you know, no loss. But just pick it up in the bookstore and read through that first part real quick. I enjoyed that. All right, those are some books that I recommend. Thanks, Sean, for your question. And now let's go to a question here from Chester Goad. Chester wants to know, what are some positive, practical tips and ideas for working the audience? Not certain that. Chester wants to know, what are some positive, practical tips and ideas for working the audience? Not necessarily roasting them, just interacting or warming them up. So that's a great question, Chester, and I know that you're in a position where you're kind of hosting some shows, and of course that'd be a great skill, and I think I even told you that's probably the next step for you. So here are some things you can do, and everybody else that are listening, uh, when you're kind of trying to work the crowd a little bit. So there's different things I've heard over the years, and you can take these with a grain of salt, and they'll tell you kind of what I do. So one thing I've always heard is don't ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. And to me, I understand what they're saying there. They're saying, you know, don't ask the audience something if you're not prepared for the answer. And ideally, you know what the answer is, so it can go right on into your joke. But if that's the case, in reality, you don't even need to ask the audience anything because you're going to go where you're going to go regardless. You already know the answer. So it's pretending to listen and interact with the audience when in reality, it's not. You're just kind of using that technique to engage them, which is okay. But I think as comics, as you get further down the road, especially, you want to really listen and you want to ask questions uh, that you don't know the answer to. And that way you're having a real genuine moment with the audience. It gives you a chance to think on your feet, go down a path you wouldn't have gone down before because this person hadn't showed up to your show and you hadn't talked to him before. Um, 
so that's that's one thing, Chester, is is you, they say don't ask a question you don't know the answer to, but I say ask a question and then zip it and listen. And before you respond, take a breath. Let the whole crowd process what they just heard. The audience members that aren't being directly spoken to are trying to think of how you would respond to that or how they would respond to it, or they're just simply listening to the conversation. And all three of those things are little setups in the mind of the audience that you can deliver a punchline to, or they're heading a direction in their minds that you can misdirect with what you're going to say. All of those things are great. They're fresh, and it's uh, real. I love those kinds of moments. Another simple way that a lot of comics can involve the audience and kind of warm them up and work them a little bit is the old, buy a round of applause, how many folks have done this? or have thought this, blah, blah, blah. Uh, when you say by a round of applause, that's instructing them to clap their hands. And so you can kind of see who's clapping and then go to one specific person if you want to go deeper and say, okay, you know, for example, how many folks, by a round of applause, how many folks here have been to the Grand Canyon? 16 people clap their hands. You look around and maybe pick the most interesting looking person or the most friendly looking person. Or what I do is if somebody's been in laughing hard the whole time and they're in that group, then I go to them because they've already – I've won them over. So they're going to be helpful when we go into a discussion about their trip in the Grand Canyon. If they speak up and start talking, then you have the option of saying, no, 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 no. I said by a round of applause. And then you've got a little moment where you're shushing them and uh, that goes about that far. But they might say something out loud that you want to pursue and go, okay, I, I said by a round of applause. But man, what you've got right there, let's let's, let's look into that a little bit. And so those are a couple of little things. Um, what else would I say you could do to gently warm up the audience? Not roasting, but just warming them up. You know, when I host over at the uh, TV show that I work at, the uh, I do the audience warm up twice a month. I make sure that if I'm doing a seven-minute set, which is typically what I do, the first two minutes, I'm not even worried about jumping in material. I'm just really finding out who is coming from the furthest away. And I ask that because our audience travels uh, from all around the world to come see this TV show that I work on, Huckabee at TBN. And uh, I'm always surprised. There's somebody from Brazil or from China or from Canada or from Australia. A little less of those lately since the borders have been kind of shut down more or less. But still, we got people coming in from Wisconsin, Oregon, people that drive all the way from uh, – who was it last week? They drove all the way from uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. They didn't fly. They drove across just to come to Nashville, see the show, and do a couple of things and drive all the way back. And that gives me a chance to interact with them. I've traveled to almost every state, I think all but four. So I usually have a, a little antidote or something I can talk to them about or a thing that I liked about their state. Uh, depending on their accent, I can have fun with that. You know, if it's ever a New Jersey person, I always go, oh, yeah, I could tell. You got some concrete slippers in your trunk, don't you, buddy? And they always laugh at stuff like that. So it's it's kind of like asking, who are you? What do you do for a job? But for me, I'm curious about where they came from geographically. And then I also just kind of know my audience. You know, I find out about my audience that way. And, hey, if you're from Oregon and you've never been here before, here's a few things you can do in Nashville. And that gets me right into some material. So again, Chester, I don't know if that helps you or not, but uh, one thing you can do is just always try to put yourself in the audience's point of view, and you just don't need to jump into material right away. It's about them at the beginning, especially when you're hosting, and then you kind of get into your material. When, if you're featuring or headliner, you can just jump right into your jokes because they've been warmed up. But when you're warming them up, that's really what you're doing, kind of shaking their hand verbally and finding out about them. And our last question comes from Bill Wilson, who I do not know, but here in the email it says, uh, 
Dear School of Laughs, been doing some comedy open mic shows in Montana, where I live, although it's hard to find a lot of them. The same people show up each week, and I'm just curious, how do you get paid doing comedy? <laughs> well, Bill, um, there's no solid answer. It's different for everybody, but here's here's the really short nutshell answer that is true. When you are consistent, when you have a good 15 to 20 minutes of solid material, and I'm, it's, it's not going to be headliner quality because you don't have the experience, but when it's solid, when people know they can hire you to warm up an audience and you're going to do what they ask you to do and do it well and not you know, goof around on stage and just kind of please yourself. But when you're doing the job, uh, when you present yourself professionally and uh, behave professionally on and off stage, people will start to think about paying you. And then when you ask Sometimes people, I know a couple comics who uh, spent maybe too many years doing stuff for free when they uh, could have just gone ahead and said, hey, this is this is a skill I've got. I'm charging for it. It takes a little while to get the guts up to do that uh, for some. Others want the money right out of the gate and don't have the skills to back it up. But the real thing, Bill, is uh, get your name out there by doing great shows, by networking with the people you do come across by traveling to other places when possible and meeting other comics and growing your network and just seeing what shows you can get on. Uh, I don't know what the comedy club scene is like in Montana. There's probably a Friday, Saturday holiday in gig somewhere. But you're going to want to seek those out. Google searches is your friend. Facebook groups are your friend. Punch in any name of any city plus stand-up comedy. And if there's a group, it'll pop up. Ask to join and find out what shows are around. When those people come to your town, you put them up on your shows. And you just develop. But in reality, you're going to need to have 15, 20 minutes of really consistent stuff that is suitable for the kind of gigs you're trying to get paid for. And then you're in a position where you can ask for some cash uh, if they're not offering it straight up. So there you go. There's a lot more that goes into it. But in short, you got to have something to sell. People don't buy the first chapter of a book. They buy something that's developed. So keep writing your comedy chapters until you've got something people can actually uh, sit and listen to for 15, 20 minutes that makes them laugh the whole time. All right. I told you it was going to be quick. It's a little chilly here. I'm going to go sit in the hot tub and contemplate my next move in life. This week, busy, crazy. Uh, four shows this week. So jumping back in, one in person, three virtual I will be in uh, Latin America, North America. I'll be in Toronto, Canada, and I'll be in Minneapolis, and then physically in uh, Lexington, Kentucky, if the weather holds up. So we'll see. We'll see. Business is going all right. Uh, we should talk soon about virtual events because it's, those have been busy, real busy. And if you're not getting those kinds of gigs, maybe you should. I didn't like the idea at first, but I'm telling you, sitting here in my cozy home, or going to my office eight minutes away and doing a show and then coming right back and sleeping in my own bed. Not bad. Still look forward to getting out there, but in the meantime, virtual is it, man. All right. Stay safe. Thanks again to Bill for sponsoring the podcast. And uh, you guys take care. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Stay warm. Here's a little tune I wrote about the cold weather. Bye. When I breathe, I see my breath. Frosty the snowman froze to death I had to put antifreeze in my commode It's too cold, it's too cold, it's too cold When you go to milk a cow and get ice cream And a song from Frozen stuck in your dreams 
When polar bears are wearing winter coats It's too cold, let it go, it's too cold When your nose keeps running but your car won't start And you hate the weather with all your heart When the groundhog won't come out of his hole It's too cold, it's too cold, it's too cold When the flock of geese gets stuck in the air And you have to sneak a heater in your underwear When they cancel a game at Lambeau It's too cold, it's too cold, it's too cold When you preheat your oven with a microwave And your boogers look like two huge chunks of jade When your laundry is too stiff to fold It's too cold, dig for gold, it's too cold When you trade mittens for kittens on your hands And the gangsters start pulling up their pants When you start praying for an ozone hole It's too cold, it's too cold, it's too cold This winter weather is polarizing I spent a half day just de-icing My cup of j-j-j-j-j-j-j-j-joe When tears turn to sleet as they roll down your cheek And you start eating baked beans just for the heat When Santa moves to Tampa from the North Pole It's too cold, it's too cold, it's too cold Whoa, I'd hate to be digging a well today Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts You can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.